What's up, everybody? I'm your host, Chris Hampton. Welcome to the Power Company Podcast, brought to you by PowerCompanyClimbing.com. I am in Santa Fe, New Mexico, in the midst of a sightseeing road trip that began as a climbing road trip until the weather would not cooperate, and we are now museum hopping across the southwest. Yesterday, I had a really fun session at the Santa Fe Climbing Center, so shout out setters over there for the the really fun setting and making the most of a a small bouldering space. Uh, And I had a session with my friend Caitlin Holmes, who's also a fellow Plug Tone podcaster. Her new podcast with uh, Lauren Abernathy, you may know them as Dirtbag Nutritionist and Good Spray Coaching on Instagram. Their new podcast, The Average Climber Podcast, uh, is out. The trailer is out. First episode will be dropping, I believe, first week of January. So if you haven't checked that out, go do it. I know a lot of you out there are begging for that kind of content, um, talking about and celebrating the average climbers. All right, I'm in a loud and bustling hotel here in Santa Fe, so I'm going to keep this intro short and sweet. Today's guest is a good friend of mine, also a fellow podcaster. Uh, Emily Holland is the host of Nature Untold, which is a podcast about addiction and recovery, uh, particularly in the outdoor world. And her story is worth telling as much as her guests. And recently, Emily has been getting re-excited about climbing. Um, maybe finding herself again through her rediscovery of a love of climbing. And I've been watching it sort of at arm's length and and really interested in the process that Emily's going through because I think a lot of us deal with this same thing, whether it's burnout, whether it's climbing has become something unhealthy, addictive, toxic for us, whatever it is, and we're trying to find that good place again. And Emily has done a really amazing job of thinking through what that process is, and I'm excited to share it with you. So let's get into it. And since then, it's lit a fire within me. Like, I'm trying to go to the gym. I'm scheduling time with people. Like, I'm looking up stuff on Mountain Project. That would never happen before. Okay is a loose term, um, but my goal was to lead five pitches. I didn't care what grade, and quite honestly, I'm really low on the grade spectrum right now, and that's okay with me. Sure. And um, I did six, so I feel really good nice. about that, and I feel like I was able to overcome some fear moments that I had, and then just had fun the rest of the time. That was yeah. the big thing. Is like let's. I'm going to try to do some harder stuff for myself, but I really want to have fun with my partner, my romantic and climbing partner. Yeah. When you came down from leading the fifth pitch, was there like, (laughs) all right, I'm done. I don't want to do any more. Or did it not even occur to you and you just rolled right into number six? Yeah, it's kind of in between. It was like, cool, I did what I set out here to do. This was the first day and we had three days there. So I felt really good about that, that I also started the entire trip. I was like, I'm just going to lead everything right up front. I knew of this little pocket of climbs that I wanted to just get on. There were short, easier routes that I was like, that will give me sort of the confidence, I think, to try some harder stuff. And as I got down from the fifth one, I was like cool. That was like not that hard to stack those up. And Mm -hmm. um, then the next day I was 
like just ready to go again. I'm like, okay, I'll just do some more, you know, and it happened to just be one. And then my partner tried to climb some harder stuff, but yeah, I didn't, I am feeling lately like the line that I like to play with. And this is true of like skiing as well, which I'm relatively new to anything where I'm like rediscovering myself in is like, I want to challenge myself every time in, in a tiny way. Like it doesn't need to be that I'm trying to send my next hardest route or whatever it is. It's like this next time I don't want to be as scared to clip the first bolt. I don't want to fear the, feel the same fear response. Mm-hmm. And then if I make that little point of improvement, it's like so freaking helpful for my confidence. And then I feel like I'm just having fun after that. So right. I'm kind of riding that line right now. I think that's a really cool place to be actually, especially once you've, you know, it's hard to entirely let go of the grades or the difficulty mm-hmm. um, when you start talking about pushing yourself and getting uncomfortable. But if you can do that a little bit, it's a really interesting, empowering place to to exist in. You know, you, yeah. you can find these wins that are really valuable. Yeah. And I almost prefer those. I mean, what I've learned over my over six years of climbing that I've done is that I don't respond well to really going out of my comfort zone. Mm -hmm. I don't respond well. Like my stress response is not good. I've worked on it for years and years and years. And now I just am okay and know that about myself. Whereas before I really beat myself up about that. And I was like, why can't you just overcome the fear and like, shut up, stop being a little baby. Like, you know, Mm -hmm. all that internal dialogue that I'm sure tons of people have. So many. So Right? Like I've heard it on this podcast. I hear it with friends and we just like, assume that everyone around us is just so locked in with their fear responses. And it's just not true. But now I just feel like I'm at this place where I'm okay with knowing that I don't feel the need to, you know, get on a super hard thing just to like prove myself or prove to someone else that I'm a climber, quote unquote. Mm -hmm. I'm just not in that headspace anymore. And that feels fucking rad. (laughs) Awesome. You've mentioned a couple of times here uh, the word rediscovering, um, rediscovering climbing, rediscovering yourself within climbing and skiing and all of these other things. Um, what was it about climbing or you know, maybe more appropriately about how you were engaging with it that led you to move away from it and now have to be or to want to be rediscovering it? Yeah, I think I'm so glad you said you changed that from have to want, because I think that's a really big point of this whole thing. Mm-hmm. For years, I wanted to be a climber and I felt like I had to be a climber because my partner, my romantic partner is a climber. A lot of my friends were climbers. Mm-hmm. I wanted to be part of that. And I felt like I had to be this certain type of person to fit into that mold and I had to get over certain things within myself to to be part of that community, actually. Yeah. So I think when I first started climbing, kind of going back to your question, is I really had this weird dichotomy between feeling really present for the first time maybe ever in my life, feeling mm. really in my body and feeling strong too, that's a big part of it for me is, is actually feeling like I have strength inside, within me. But the other part of that, especially because I started climbing in the gym, is that I felt really bodily on display. Like I didn't hmm. like being in front of people climbing because I had an eating disorder and body dysmorphia. Um, and so I think it was a really interesting journey the first couple of years to get over the body part, the the feeling like I'm on display, which is, that's partly true when you're at a gym and you're at the crag, like people do watch other climbers, but it was not as true as I made it out to be in my head, if you know what I mean. Right. Yeah. So I think I had to work through a lot of that. And quite honestly, I don't totally feel like I came to terms with those feelings until I got sober. And I wasn't 
a heavy drinker at the time that I got sober. I kind of had petered out, I would say, over the last five years of my drinking relationship. But once I had a good amount of sobriety under my belt, you know, a couple months, and I had sort of the clouds had been lifted from my mind, I was able to actually think about these things in greater depth and talk through them in therapy. And quite honestly, at the time, I felt like I don't want to climb anymore, you know, mm. in the beginning of my sobriety. I, I'll just do it when I feel like it. I'll go with my partner when he needs a belay for his projects. And I'll go to the gym when I want to. But I just couldn't, couldn't muster up the excitement around it. And I just really needed to work through coming to terms with a lot of my eating disorder behaviors and actual eating disorder in order to start to, I know it's cliche, but literally love myself and my body. Sure. I mean, and it's that, cliche for a reason. Yeah. It's, yeah. You know, it's something we all have to come to terms with in some way, shape or form at some point. Yeah. Um, I love how jarring the phrase bodily on display is um, <laughs> because for me, it's not something I take into account all that often. Um, I'm the person who's like, put me on display. Like, yeah, I, I perform better when there's a crowd watching, you know, so totally it for years, Annalisa, my wife would would know I was about to send something because a crowd would be coming up the trail or a bunch of people would gather to watch. And she's like, oh, he's going to do it now, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So I don't take that into account, but the phrase bodily on display is so jarring and I'm sure that's how it feels. Yeah, it really does. And I think that's a really good point, Chris, that it really is about knowing yourself, isn't it? Like it really, you have to totally know yourself in this sport and in, in life. But I mean, particularly in rock climbing, I feel like it's super important to be understanding of what works for you and what doesn't. Mm -hmm. And I totally know people who are like, cool, there's people around in the gym or outside. I'm going to try harder because it feels like there's a vibe here. And yeah. I want to like try hard and get the good vibes from those people. And people are like yelling for you and stuff. And that doesn't work for a lot of people too. So it's like just knowing yourself is the basis for a lot of these, like uh, basically avoiding some of these hardships that come mm -hmm. with, with the climbing world. Yeah. Um, you mentioned sobriety in there and you, you host a really great podcast, Nature Untold, that um, talks about addiction and um overcoming it or moving through it. I don't know what the best terminology there is, um, <laughs> um, but about addiction and sobriety has, has that journey, the hosting, the podcast, um, has that helped you in your own journey to be talking to these other people and seeing how they are moving through it? Mm. Yes, definitely. I, feel really, what's the word? I feel a great sense of responsibility, I will say, mm -hmm. with telling of those stories. When I got sober, I felt like there's a lot of stories out there and we have mutual friends that are sober and have been very um, verbose about that and journey over the years. But I didn't feel like there was a consistent place that a lot of these stories were being told. And um, that's why I started that. And so I didn't really know what I was getting into as a lot mm. of podcasters don't totally know, but then it was sort of wrapped up in, I was asking a lot of questions that I was just curious about, about the journey of sobriety throughout it. And I think some of the main takeaways I have from a lot of these really like life altering conversations I feel like I've been able to have and feel very lucky to have is that a couple things. First of all, no one cares about you as much as you think you do in the best mm. way possible. Meaning like people aren't watching you, people aren't analyzing your every move. And there's a really big freedom in that. And when people yeah. get sober or think about getting sober, they really worry about like being at a party and people being like, why aren't you drinking? Or why is there mm -hmm. not a drink in your hand? 
no one no one actually cares <laughs> if they're good people. Um, so I think that's a main takeaway that I've had from that. And then the other thing that I really feel has direct impact in my climbing relationship now is that while there's really connective tissue between all of these stories, no one story is, is the same right. and that's totally okay. Mm-hmm. And that is so freeing as well to really just be feeling like I can see myself in parts of this, but it doesn't need to be my truth. It doesn't need to be my experience. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that is a direct correlation to how I feel about climbing now. And maybe a lot of your listeners right, are, are way in, in front of me when it comes to like grades and their fear mindset or whatever. And but, also maybe not. Yeah. I think there's a lot of those folks too, right? Where yeah. it's like, like I did, I felt like there was something wrong with me for years mm-hmm. and there's not. <laughs> I mean, there's a lot I can improve upon. I'm not saying I'm perfect, Chris, but there's like <laughs> so there's this like idea that I think a lot of us have that we're supposed to be this certain way when it comes to climbing. And it's just right. bullshit and it fucks people's heads up too. Totally. And you know what's so interesting about it all is that we we have this idea that to identify as a climber um, in whatever regard you want to do that. Um, we have to be this certain way and we all have to be doing the same thing. But then we all gather around a boulder problem and we're all <laughs> coming up with different ways to do it. And we're cheering each other on despite doing it differently. And we celebrate that. And then we walk away from that and we all have to be the same again so that we're all climbers again. And yeah, man, I don't think it actually works that way, but that's how our brains make it work. Yeah. And I got chills as you were talking about that, like the visualization of people around a boulder and all doing it a different way. Gosh, that is so impactful. I'm just going to think about that forever now <laughs> and like <laughs> how beautiful that is. That is really that the ethos of it. You know, I, I obviously like didn't like climbing for a long time, but that is at the ethos of like everything I love about climbing. Yeah. And, you know, to to stretch that maybe too far and, you know, take it to a point where people are like, well, he's lost the thread. Um, <laughs> Let's do it. Let's do it. <laughs> uh, one of the things I talk about a lot with climbers is we don't have to be constantly spraying our beta at everybody. You know, you don't have mm. to tell people how you do it, let them figure it out for themselves. And I think, you know, like you were saying, the why isn't there a drink in your hand? Do you want to drink? That aspect of socializing is almost just this built-in response we have when we see people. We don't mean mm. it necessarily. It's just a way to start a conversation. It's a way to talk. It's a way to be social. And I think we do that oftentimes at the boulders with beta and with, hey, do you want to try this? You know, we're excited about our own beta and this is an easy way to be social and to start talking to somebody. And it's my hope that we can find other ways to do that because both can be damaging to the person you're talking to without you knowing it. Yeah, I think that's so true. I think also it's habitual too. So there's a bit of it that is really just like deeply ingrained in our brains. You know how obviously habits are formed and then we have grooves in our brain that direct us to those habits over and over again. So it's literally just about doing something different to rewire your brain. And that can be true of not spraying beta and communicating a different way. And it can be true of minimizing your drinking. And I'm not on here to like preach sobriety for everyone. I think everyone should have a conversation with themselves about the things in them their life that may be causing them harm. Mm-hmm. But I know that everyone has their different relationship with alcohol and all kinds of different things, just like they do with um, climbing. But I do think it's important to be really self-aware in those moments and I think the other thing with some of that stuff is like if someone is asking you or even pestering you about drinking or maybe spraying too much, 
that often just says more about that person than it does about what right. like what you're doing in that moment. So I think that's a good reminder for folks as well is just like, it's not really about you. It's about that person. Um, and if you have a loving relationship with them, you can talk to them about that. But if it's like a random person, not your problem, <laughs> not yeah. your problem. Yeah, totally. I think that's really important. Um, you know, kind of talking about the random people that are around, um, was there early on in this when you started realizing, oh, maybe I'm, maybe I have a, a different relationship with climbing than I wish I had and I need to work through that? Um, what, how was the culture around it um, feeding into that? Mm. Or did you find it helpful? I know that I think the first time we met was at Rocktoberfest. Is that right? Yes. We briefly met at OR, I believe, before that, like in the hallway. <laughs> oh, that but, was before um, that. Okay. Yeah. I don't, I don't actually know the timeline, but yeah, we met Same. at, we saw each other at Rocktoberfest. Yep. Mm -hmm. And I know those environments are very much like it's, it's very purposeful that there is alcohol there to mm. loosen people up or whatever. And when you're going to these social events, um, as someone who's having a relationship with addiction um, that isn't healthy for them, that can be a tough place to be. And I'm curious mm. if you were finding other parts of the culture in around climbing toxic or, mm. or how it was for you? So there's a bit of self-imposed pressure, certainly that I felt from the culture. Like, I think we're moving in a really cool direction now where we're having more, um, media around people who are not like, you know, the Jonathan Segrist of the world, um, in the right. climbing world. I think that's really cool that we're representing more stories that are not these like elite athleticism feats and mm -hmm. are inaccessible for most of the like climbers in the world and most athletes in the world. So I think that's a really good move forward. At the time that I was starting climbing, I don't feel like that was the case. And I felt like just the media that I was given was often literally just, um, a, a lot of white people and it mm -hmm. <laughs> still is. Yep. Um, but also really about like, rad stuff all the time, no feelings, no fear, <laughs> like that kind right, of vibe. Right. Um, so I think that was a little hard to figure out as someone with these like insecure feelings and all my eating disorder stuff. Um, as far as my crew, I had a really supportive climbing crew. My partner was someone who had already been climbing for a few years and he was also um, – working at the gym and a guide. So he's very good at like teaching mm. and being patient, um, which was very necessary for me. Yeah. <laughs> um, but also at the gym in Boston where I started, it's a different vibe than where, it, where we're at now in Boulder, Colorado, where there's like 70 pro climbers at the gym at a time. Right. In Boston, I felt like we – we're like some of the better climbers there. Not mm. that we were the best, but we, yeah, we were sort of in this like upper echelon of folks. And then we moved to Colorado and I was like, oh my God, we are average <laughs> or below average. Yeah. <laughs> and that was another kind of hard thing to come to terms with. And I think a big, another reason that I, felt like, oh, I don't like climbing. It's too much pressure. Like there's too much going mm. on. And um, so those two things were impactful, I think. And then I don't really feel like I was thinking yet about my drinking before I moved out to Colorado because, yeah, I just had a very long relationship with it. It was a crutch for me and a comfort. And I had no thought about ever giving it up um, until I moved to Colorado. Was there ever any friction um, between you and your partner um, since your partner was a climber before and sounds like pretty heavily invested in climbing in several ways when you were sort of falling out of love with it or 
realizing you wanted mm. to move away from it a little bit? Was there any friction there? Yeah, I don't think friction would be the word that I would say. I mean, the thing that I love about my relationship with my partner is that we literally talk about everything, sometimes ad nauseum. And so when something comes up, it's never a surprise to either mm. of us, you know, because we have a really so deep important. line of communication always open. Yeah. So I do think that's super important. Um and I think when he saw me sort of moving away from climbing, um, I think he understood that that's what I needed to do at the time mm -hmm. and that I needed to sort of come to my own realizations about it if I were ever to do that. Thank goodness I did. But, you know, he wasn't aware of that potentially happening for me at the time. So I think he was really understanding of that. He allowed space for me to kind of explore and have these feelings and move around and I was still pretty newly sober, so I felt like an exposed nerve overall because I was sure. feeling everything, mm -hmm. like full on, full throttle, all the things that are full, <laughs> raw, <laughs> exposed nerve, yeah. like cry crying constantly. Like I was so emotional for like the first six months of my sobriety. And I don't say that in a bad way. Like I think it was important for me to recalibrate and start to to. I don't know, crazy concept, feel things again. Um, but yeah, I think he was really understanding. And I think that honestly, I haven't really thought about that very much. And I feel very lucky as we're talking about this because it could have gone the other way for sure. Yeah. I mean, that open line of communication that that exists already is such a valuable thing to have when you're struggling with anything. Um, and, you know, it's one of the things one of the questions I ask whenever I'm consulting with people about their frustrations at, you know, not progressing and climbing and they're not able to get out enough or whatever, and it's causing friction in their relationships. I'm like, have you talked about it? Have you, have you brought this up? Have you said- Simplest thing ever. Yeah. yeah. Like, have, have you said, hey, for these six weeks, I really want to dedicate myself to this project outside and- that means I'm going to be around a little less. Is that okay? You know, how can we make this work? And very often people are like, no, I haven't talked to them about it or how it makes them feel at all. And it's such a, such an easy thing to do once you start doing it. Oh my gosh. As you're talking, I'm just like squirming in my seat. <laughs> like, <laughs> this happens to me all the time. And I, like when you talk to any of your friends or anyone in your life and you're like, well, have you told your husband that you feel that way? And they're like, no, 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 I can't. Right. It's like, I think about this all the time for uh, sobriety as well, because people will ask me, well, what if the people in your life like give you shit for not drinking anymore or make fun of you? Mm -hmm. Like that's, that happens. And I've had it happen to me then those people should not be in your life. If you cannot tell totally. someone your climbing partner, who is like one of the most intimate relationships, I would argue that you will ever have, mm -hmm. that you need space or you need to go on a training binge for six weeks or whatever it is. And they're like, that sucks. No, I don't want to do that. Like shutting you down. Yo, you need to reevaluate your relationship. And I know that sounds yeah. reductive and like it's harder than... I'm saying it, but truly like that is the number one thing that I hear from people who are trying to get sober and from climbers alike. Yeah. It, it can be so important on so many different levels to be able to have that level of comfortable communication. Um, I mean, a very like uh, pointed moment of it that I, that I just experienced was last weekend I was trying a boulder that was um, I had taken a really bad fall on a year and a half ago or something and was back to the point where, okay, now I'm getting to the move where I fell off and, and was really scared. Um, and my wife was my only spotter there and she was like trying to hype me up, you know, and trying to like be really direct in the way she was talking to me, which usually works really well for me. Um, 
But in that moment, it was like I need I needed to quiet everything down. I couldn't, you know, getting hype was just making it more scary. Mm. And mm. so I didn't even turn around. I was facing the boulder. I just said, shh. And she just, <laughs> she was just quiet and let it happen. And there was no argument. It wasn't a bad thing. She just understood that's what I need right now. And that's cool. And I felt totally cool just shushing her in the moment, you know, <laughs> because we could talk about it after and I knew we could. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that is really powerful too, because like having that comfortability level and you guys knowing each other so well to be able to do that is, is really beautiful too in itself. Like building a relationship is about like getting to those points where you can have those like moments and it doesn't deteriorate the foundation that you're laying everything on. And one thing, I'm not trying to beta spray for relationships, for relationships, but um, I, we do have a conversation before we go on a climbing trip where we're like, what do you need from me? What do I need from you? Perfect. What are my expectations of you? And vice versa. Not, not even just like he wants to send this grade or this route or whatever. I want to try to lead. We talk about that too. But it's important, like, how are you feeling today? Like, mm -hmm. what kind of support do you need today? And I know some people might be like, oh, my God, that's so lame, like having those conversations over and over again. But try it out and then see how better your relationship yeah. is after that. Yeah, absolutely. Talk about all the things, you know. I try to do it if there's any part of a boulder problem or how I'm feeling about it, where I might fall, what kind of support I want, cheering or not. Um, I try to have that conversation while I'm standing on the ground before yeah. I'm like getting into the zone I need to be in um, so that I can stay in the zone I need to be in, you know? Totally. Um, and then when we walk away from the boulder, it's that much better because there's no residual like, oh, I wish they wouldn't have said this at this time. And, you know, you can't blame them for taking you out of your space Mm. Um, which is something I feel like I see quite often in relationships, one partner blaming the other for their own, you know, failing that day or whatever it was. Yeah, so, so true. So have that conversation on the ground. Great. That's a great takeaway <laughs> for yeah. everyone listening. <laughs> and we all know we've all maybe been there when we're up on the wall and we're like yelling down to our partner being like, take or whatever, yep. you know, you need and like getting angry. And we don't want to mm -hmm. be those people at the crag. So if we can avoid that, that's great. <laughs> yeah. And alternatively, you know, you and I have talked about relationships and climbing a bit, but I'm also not afraid to be that person at the crag that shushes my partner when they're talking too much because my mm. partner and I have a different relationship and I really don't care how the other people perceive that relationship you know, we're going to be fine immediately. There, there's no like bad feeling about me, go, me just saying, Shh, like, I need to stay yeah. in my zone. She knows that she's the same way, you know? Yeah. There have been times on boulders, uh, one moment in Waco, actually, I was like, you can do this. And she, she just mid boulder. Don't fucking tell me what I can do. Oh, I love it. <laughs> like, all right, let's go. I'm out. <laughs> <laughs> I've said that so many times. Oh man. I like it. <laughs> yeah, So good. So there's a phrase you have used, um, in conversation with me a couple of times now. Um, I've been, you and I have talked a little bit through this journey of you sort of rediscovering climbing and and enjoying it again. And, and it gets me so excited to hear or see the excitement in your texts or, you know, that stuff I fucking love. I, I <laughs> love seeing people fall in love with this again. Um, the phrase you've used was key weekend, I think. Mm. That there was a key weekend that changed things for you. What the hell yeah. was it? <laughs> yeah, that's a great question. And can we package it and sell it? Yeah. Oh, my God. I wish. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, we went up to 10 Sleep in Wyoming, um, and I had never been there. And everyone else that I went with, him, two other friends and then my partner, um, they're all 
like 12 plus climbers. Um, and first of all, I need to get like more beginner climber friends, but that's neither here nor there. So if anyone lives in Boulder and wants to climb with me, please reach out. But um, anyways, so we went up there and I was getting back into the gym at the time. Like I had just finally redone my lead certification. I had lived in Boulder for two years. And this tells you how long mm. this process was of like hating climbing, loving it again, hating it again, and then coming to this lead certification moment where I was like, okay, I really want to like get back into this, start getting over fear of falling, like work on this. I actually want to work on it. And so I went into this weekend very much like I go into every climbing weekend or how I did in the past, which is like very high expectation for myself with no reason for that expectation. <laughs> <laughs> and like a lot, of, in that. <laughs> a lot of opportunity for frustration. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I went into that, you know, we went to a less nice crag. I, I won't shit on any of the crags there. So the first day, you know, we were climbing a little bit and um, I just was getting scared on top rope and freaking out and not having a good day. So me and my partner started getting a little snippy with each other as we do. Mm-hmm. And no one, no relationship is perfect. And I started having the stress response, which I very am very familiar with now, which is I I like have a I have a like very visceral panic attack when I'm mm. <laughs> scared. So it could be something that's not really scary to anyone else, but there's something about it that triggers something inside me and past traumas that I've had that will elicit this like over the top response. So when someone sees it, they're like, what the fuck is going on? Mm. Like, why is she so scared? And then that kind of like adds to my level of shame around it and like we'll make it worse too. So we have a couple days up there. They're climbing really well. They're climbing like some of these routes that they've kind of earmarked for the trip. And it's like a birthday trip for my friend, Megan. And three days go by and each are kind of the same. And I set the intention earlier in the day of like, okay, I'm just going to have fun today. I'm just going to have fun. I'm going to support my friends. I'm just going to be present here, you know, like inside having this mantra with myself. And inevitably each day something happens where I'm like, I suck. I suck. I will Mm -hmm. never be good at climbing. I can never be this level of climbing. And it sucks. And it we all have been around someone like that, I think, in in our experiences. And it brings down the vibe really a lot. And I hate being that person. Um, once I'm in it, I can't get out. Um, so I had a couple conversations with my partner. We were staying at the Rock Ranch. So there's like a lot of areas to go and sort of like have private conversations. And um, it wasn't until the last night when we were done with all of our climbing that my friend Callan, just like very gently, and I'm gonna, I might get a little choked up because this is like mm. very sweet that he did this. Very gently, just asked me like curious questions about what I felt like I was experiencing on the rock. Like, what was it that actually scared me? Very like questions that I don't think anyone has ever asked me. Mm. And it was him and Megan literally like dictating to me that. They don't give a shit if I climb hard or like at the level that they do. They just want to be there and have fun with me. Yeah. And I've heard people say that to me before. And I've somewhat believed it and mostly didn't. <laughs> <laughs> but it was something about this time. I had, you know, one and a half years of sobriety at the time. I just done my lead certification. I felt like I was on this turning point, this like precipice. And I needed people outside of my partner who has said this stuff to me over and over again to say, we love you and we do not care what you climb. We just want to be with you out there. I mean, like I'm getting a little choked up because it's really a beautiful thing. But um, that was literally life-altering for me, that conversation. So like shout out to Megan and Callan for doing that and being the best. Um, And since then, it's literally lit a fire within me. Like Mm. I am, I know things have changed because 
I'm trying to go to the gym. I'm scheduling time with people. Like I'm actively trying to lead and fall in the gym. I'm looking up stuff on Mountain Project. That would never happen before. (laughs) You know, like all these things are happening and I'm like, I feel like an overstoker. And it's so funny because everyone around me, yourself included, and then a couple other friends, I'm like, like viciously texting them and being (laughs) being like so stoked on stuff and knowing that they're like, Jesus, Emily, relax. (laughs) But like, it feels so, so good to feel like I'm really at a place where I can look at climbing as a sport that I want to get better at and not an indication of my worthiness as a human being. Hmm. That's so big. It's first off, I love, and I've said this already, but I'm going to say it again. I love how palpable the excitement is <laughs> for this now. Um, I can I can feel it through your text messages, which is huge. Um, and I love that you're leaning into it and talking about it. Um, shout out to Megan and is it Callan? Cowan? Yes. Yeah, Kellen. Yep. Shout out to them <laughs> um, for taking the time and having the the wherewithal to make it a more personal thing, um, because that's how it feels, right? When you're scared of something, when you're being really down on yourself, it is a really personal thing, and it's very often not enough to just make it a flippant. Um, you know, three second moment at the crag where, oh, you don't need to be scared of that. It's fine. Yeah. That's not enough. It's not, that's not a personal reaction to this, this really personal, scary moment that you're having, having whatever, whatever it is. doesn't matter if it scares other people or not. It's a Mm. real thing for you. Um, And them bringing it back to why they're here with you to begin with is so huge. Um, so maybe we can just sell them as partners to everyone <laughs> who needs this kind of help. Yeah. Um, They're no, great. I think, I think the willingness to have that line of communication open, whether your friends bring it to you or you bring it to your friends, um, I think is such a big deal to be able yeah. to have. Totally. And I think the other half of that, or maybe quarter, let's call it a quarter, is being in a place to receive that like love and care, right? Like I really truly believe that for me, it's sobriety for someone else. It might be just like their therapeutic, like recovery, whatever it is. Like I was at a place mentally where I was able to take that in and say, they're not lying to me. They're not the they love me and that's okay because I'm lovable. Like that is a basis of what it's all about. Mm. Right. Like that was why for so many years I couldn't get through. I didn't think I was strong. I didn't have belief in myself. Like that's a big one. I didn't have any belief in myself or anything. Um, And like, I think that just being at a mental place too, to be able to take that in is just like super huge. Mm, so cool. What since that moment, I mean, number one, you had to recognize that that moment was happening and to lean into it and to keep rolling with it. Can you point to anything that you've done, whether it's a physical thing you did, a thing you planned, um, just a, a thought you sat with in your head, whatever it was? that has helped you keep this momentum going? Yeah. So there's two uh, things that I think about in my head that help me keep it going because I really like what you're saying, like keeping the momentum going. Because when I was at this really high stoke level, which I'm still at like, let's say 10% less than that, but you know, I was really high level (laughs) for a little while. (laughs) And uh, as you got through my texts and, um, I knew and I wanted to be very cognizant that I wouldn't always feel this way. So like, how can I set myself up for success when I don't feel this way? 
and still like making progress and and going forward and like still loving the the process of getting better at climbing. Um, so there's two things. And one thing I actually borrowed from Megan, who borrowed from a coach named Alex Steiger. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if she came up with this, but she's like a mythical creature in my in my mind now because she <laughs> said this to Megan and in a sense really helped me. But she said to her, it doesn't really matter if you're climbing at your limit or if you're doing something like fall practice. It's always about putting cookies in the confidence jar. So confidence Mm -hmm. cookies in the confidence jar. So when I go to the gym or I go to the crag, I'm like, how can I use this experience, whatever it is, if it's like I took more falls today or I led something I didn't think I could do today or got on a harder grade than I'm used to. Cool. I come down, I say, that's a cookie. I got a cookie for that. (laughs) And that feels really empowering. I literally say it out loud to my partner too. Like that's for the confidence jar. Um, And then the other piece is something we talked about way earlier, which I use for skiing too, which is like every time I want to try a little tiny bit harder, but I still want to have fun. Like I Mm. want fun to be the primary objective and I want to push myself a little bit past the threshold that I did last time. Yeah. So those two, like, I don't know if they're mantras or just things I think about um, are really, really important for me. And then it's literally about like, every time I leave the gym, I'm like, Jesus, I am like, I'm onto something here. Like, this is so good. (laughs) I come down from climbs and I'm like, this is what people were talking about for six years. Like, I didn't know what it felt like. And now I do to feel like. I was really scared, but I did the thing anyways, and it feels so good. And I know I'm like preaching to the choir here, but that those types of moments feel like like the things that will keep this momentum going. Um, yeah, so well, you're yeah, also you're rambling, also preaching but. to people who are in the tunnel currently, you know, mm. and, and can't see the light on the other end, who feel like what in the fuck are these people talking about? <laughs> this, this is terrible. I'm, I'm having the worst time. Mm. You know, those, those people are abundant out there. Um, yeah. I so. often say, I don't know if this is like gonna be controversial, but I literally say to myself and other people, I'm like, we do this for fun. This is supposed to be fun. Right. Like if it's bringing you so much hardship and like trauma to your life. I, taking breaks, in my opinion, is really helpful for sports to last longer. Absolutely. Yeah. And I've I've made a career out of finding fun in challenging myself. Um, you know, it, it's really I think it's important to to talk about the fun aspect of it. I don't think it's controversial at all. <laughs> well, I, I just we know that people try it. try really hard, and that's great. And I am excited about that, and I want to do that too. Now, 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 yeah, I do because that because there can be fun in that, right? Yes, yeah. And the feeling that feeling is that's what we should bottle up. That feeling yeah. of like the challenge and how fun that feels after you get through the challenge. Exactly. Yeah, mm-hmm. that that's the big part of it that maybe we don't talk about enough is when you're looking at someone whose fun is at a entirely different place than yours, you know, they're having fun doing a thing that's really scary for you. It's hard to recognize that they're having fun doing it. Mm. You know, it just looks like oh, they're so badass because they can do this super scary thing, you know. But yeah. they started where you were. They had a different path through this, you know, maze that you're trying to get through. <laughs> um, different beta for the boulder problem. Mm-hmm. So we really have to keep that in mind and find the fun way through it. You know, I yeah. think that's that's hugely important. Are you doing that in your work right now as well? Because I, for me, whenever whenever I'm finding that groove in climbing, I'm also finding it in my work and I'm getting excited about challenging myself in new work projects and leaning into things. And it seems like looking from the outside that you're leaning into new things work-wise as well. 
Yeah, it's so true. I mean, I, well, for context, folks, I quit my like corporate job in the, the middle of 2021 and have since been freelance for podcast consulting and coaching and uh, copywriting. So congrats, by the way. Yeah, thank you. Um, congrats. And also, what the hell are you doing? But <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's part of congrats. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm over that part, I think. But yeah, the first couple months I was like, so I gave up benefits and a salary. Cool, 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 cool. Um, but, <laughs> but now, yeah, I think I didn't think about how those things reflect each other. But now that you're saying it, man, we're having like a live therapy session here. But man, I feel so stoked to work every day. Like I get so excited about what I'm working on. And sometimes I just like can't put it down. Like I have all these ideas that go in different directions. And I actually, now that I don't work for someone else, I can actually follow those directions mm -hmm. and do what feels good at the time that I want to do it, which feels like, uh, like the ultimate sense of freedom, quite honestly. Um, so I think like work-wise, yeah, I feel the same way. I'm like, there's projects that I'm currently working on that I'm psyched on. There's projects that are coming in 2022 that I'm really excited about and partnerships that I'm stoked on. And then still having the like creative and what I think of as more like uh, something that serves a community um, project of Nature Untold still feels really impactful and like something that while I don't do as many episodes as I did earlier on, um, it's something that I won't stop doing because I know that people want to hear those stories and, and sometimes I think need to hear them. So yeah. yeah, all of it together, it's like you really can cobble together the life you really want to live. Yeah. Cobble together is my, <laughs> my entire mission statement um, or my <laughs> entire good. life. I think it's, it's all just been cobbled together, um, <laughs> yeah. but it, Love it, it's so it's so freeing, I think, to be able to follow um, where that cobbling is taking you instead of trying to force it in one direction or or ignore it even um, in a lot of cases. And yeah. I really love being afar and watching people who are like things are starting to click and they're they're feeling good and they're they're really owning it. You know, I, I, I always go back to this. Um, everything for me goes back to hip hop in some way. Um, <laughs> but I go back to this interview I read with Andre 3000, who's from outcast, one of my favorite rappers. Um, someone asked him who his favorite rappers were. And he said, anybody feeling themselves. Mm. Um, and I, I just love that. So I love seeing people who are just feeling themselves and are like, oh, I'm I'm on fire right now and I'm going to keep rolling with that. Heck um, yeah. That is I, exactly it. Yeah. And I see it manifest in all the parts of their life. You know, when, when people are asking me about climbing now, I'm like, you know what? I'm just as excited about these work projects, maybe more than I am about climbing, but I'm also having a great season. Um, it's not a coincidence that those two things are successful at once, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that also like having the freedom to be like, I'm going to go climbing today cause it's nice out and I'm mm -hmm. going to work later in the evening is like, or whatever you want to do. Right. Like people have other sports that they do too. Um, but I think that is something that gives a lot of levity to each day too is just like feeling yeah. like a kid you're like i'm gonna go play and then i'll play some more in my work life <laughs> you know yeah or the weather is good but i don't feel like i have to go climbing because i'm so excited about this thing i'm working on i'm just gonna stay in and work mm. on it yeah i love, I love being able to make that decision yeah yeah, and you live in like one of the best places ever to just go out and <laughs> climb yeah. during the day. Like truly unbelievable. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think I love and I'm grateful that you have taken the time to think through your own process so so well that you can impart it the way you do to other people. I think that's so valuable. Um, and I think my listeners are the luckiest people ever to get to 
hear that from you. Um, oh man, there's a lot of pressure. <laughs> no, you, you've already done the work. There's yeah, no pressure. True, true. Yeah. <laughs> so you like it or you don't. <laughs> it's already there. Um, yeah. Where can people find you, learn more from you, work with you if they're interested in podcasting? Um, where, mm. can, where can people reach you? Yeah, people can just email me directly at emily at emilyholland.co. And I'm also on Instagram. It's probably the most active platform I'm on. And that's E underscore H-O-L-L-Z. Try to give myself a nickname. Didn't really stick, but it's it's my <laughs> moniker now. So I'll just whatever. start calling you that now if that's okay. Yeah. The only person that calls me that is Jonathan Ronzio from the Stokecast. So um, <laughs> it didn't really stick at a, at a grander scale. But before we end, um, Chris, I did want to say that your podcast has been so helpful in this whole process. Even when I hated climbing, I listened to it and it made me feel a lot better. And a specific episode that if folks haven't listened to it yet, the fear one with lore was like mm. unbelievably good. And mm. all of them are, but that one specifically really stuck with me. The way that they laid everything out made me feel so seen and heard. Yeah. Lore for lack of a better word, is such a fucking rock star. And they're, <laughs> the they're so word. good at communicating. Um, it's one of the great joys of my life, actually, to be able to sit down with Lore and learn from them. So huge. And I, I appreciate you saying that. Um, I just recently, you know, was like, oh, I'm going, I'm going to take a break. You know, we're, <laughs> we're, we're almost at 2 million downloads. Once I hit 2 million, I'm taking a break because I haven't taken a break um, since mm. I started this thing. And then I started thinking, are these, should I keep doing these interviews? Um, they're the, the part of the podcast that takes the longest, um, both to do, to schedule and to get out. Um, so I polled some of my communities and, and actually um, a guest you've had on your podcast, Caroline Wicks very, um, I don't even know what the right word is. She, she convinced me in one paragraph, which is like, here's why I value your podcast and these interviews. <laughs> and here's why you should keep doing them. And I was like, okay, done. <laughs> you know, Guess I'll just do this you forever. Sold me, sold me <laughs> yeah, on the thing. Seriously. I made. Thank you. No, it's so good. So good to hear that feedback. And it's really, really important for folks because you're tackling a lot of topics that I don't think that other climbing podcasts uh, delve into nearly enough. Cool. Well, um, if anyone out there is interested in podcast building, Emily is a professional, so reach out to her <laughs> and make the things. And go check out Nature Untold. I'm, uh, In fact, if I have to if I have to recommend uh, an episode, it would be the Patty O'Connell, um, mm. just because he's such a fantastic human. And the more you can hear him talk, the better. Life is better oh when you can hear so him good. talking. I actively so. just try to email him like once a month so that I can just take in some of his language. Yeah. He's so good. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. All right. Well, I'm looking forward to what you're doing in 2022, and I'm looking forward to hope, hopefully collaborating on some things with you. So thanks, thanks a ton <laughs> for sitting down and doing this. Yeah. Thanks so much, Chris, for having me. You know, thanks are in order to Emily for not only taking the time to chat, but also for putting so much energy into thinking through and vocalizing this process that she's going through. I think that anytime fear, anxiety, self-doubt um, come into play, it's, it's really tough to take a step back and organize your thoughts. And people that can do that are gold. Right there in the show notes in your pocket supercomputer, you can find links to the two seasons of Nature Untold. I personally would start at episode one, season one, like I mentioned, with Patty O'Connell, the most joyous human on earth. Or, of course, you can jump ahead to episode 21 with Brendan Leonard from Semirad and work your way back to Patty. Either way, you can't lose. You can also find links to Emily, 
uh, to work directly with her if you're interested in um, starting your own podcast. She's a podcast coach. Um, so reach out to her if you've got something like that in mind. Okay, this bustling hotel is testing my patience. So as always, you know where to find us, powercompanyclimbing.com. You can find us on the Facebooks, the Instagrams, the YouTubes. If you haven't yet, check out our community forum. It's at community.powercompanyclimbing.com. We would love to have your voice in there. And this is, in fact, the final episode of 2021. So please share it or share your favorite episodes on all of your social medias, including your Twitters. I won't, however, be able to like or retweet or whatever it is that happens over there because we don't tweet. We scream like eagles. This time, 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 this